0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville Audio Podcast. There's a group of pastors who meet in our community uh, about once a month, and we meet under the title of Christ Together. And it's, um, I'll be honest with you, it's a group, uh, it's a silly little group of pastors who we believe the craziest of things. We believe that God's word is exactly, says exactly what it means. We believe that regardless of denomination, that um, God has called us to... uh, to expand his kingdom, and to do that by plundering hell and populating heaven. That's what we believe. And so we have come to the, the realization that we believe that we can do more together for the kingdom's sake than we can apart. And so we've been meeting for about once a month, uh, for, man, 18 months maybe, Daniel, roughly, 18 months probably, and... Um, and it's been awesome to see the body of Christ coming together, pastors of all different denominations, coming and talking about how do we reduce lostness. Lostness is growing in our community. Losses. Did you know this, that 70% of our community in Statesville this morning is not in church anywhere? 70% of, our, of the population do not attend church anywhere. And so we just think that we can do more together than we can apart. It's that same premise. And so sometimes people say, well, how in the world did we we do that Power Cross rally? Listen, major kudos to Power Cross for what they pulled off. But one piece of that was that there were already pastors. There were already a ton of pastors that had come together, kept saying, what can we do in our community? So when Power Cross presented the opportunity, we were like, yes, amen, because we'd already been talking about doing something together and what does that look like and how do we approach that? And so it's, um, it's that that we um, have in common. We've been talking about partnering, praying together, learning each other's hearts, all those kind of things. So it's out of that that this morning series, and actually the series for the next three weeks, is coming. Um, we are going to be talking about living missionally, but we're calling it, the sermon series is called One. And yes, it is one body, one, one body of Christ, one head, one hands, and one, one heart. And we're going to be talking about that. But the interesting thing is, is this morning, I'm starting it, and I'm going to be talking to you about the heart of Christ. Um, But for the next three weeks, there are three pastors. There are two other pastors, Tim Brower from the Oaks Church and Pastor Tim Stutz from Front Street Baptist. And over the next three weeks, we are going to be swapping each other's pulpits for three weeks. And we are going to be talking about being one body, one missional body of christ and what we can do together and how we can see his kingdom and it's part of it comes by living missionally and so that's going to be the the gist of our sermon series um for the next three weeks so we're all starting in our own church this morning we thought it would probably be good to explain it to our congregations (laughs) before we just start switcheroo like hello guess who i am you don't know well guess what um, we thought it would be good to start at home and, uh, and do that. So this morning they are each uh, starting. And so um, we're going to be doing this over the next three weeks. So if you ever wanted to know what it was like to go to one of these other churches, just come here and they'll be here and you'll know what exactly what it's like. Just kidding. Um, this morning I want to talk to you about the heart of Christ. And I'm going to tell you that uh, today's text... Um, is simply a launching point. I'm going to start with a text this morning, and it is a place for us to uh, springboard into every place else we're going to go today. We're going to cover a lot of Scripture today. Um, we're going to make a lot of stops. It's going to be like a train with a lot of stops in Scripture. But this morning, um, our first one is John 10.10, and I'll go ahead and tell you where the second one's going to be, and the second one's going to be John 1.14. But in this morning, with John 1, John 10.10, it says this, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You want to know what Jesus' intention was? You want to know what his heart was? That you and I would have life and we have it to the full. That he would, would restore relationship in a way that you and I would have fullness of life in Christ. That was his heart. That is his intention. That is his purpose. And so this morning, I wanted to start there. We know from this text and from others... That Jesus came to give us life. John three sixteen. It's really popular. We all know it for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever may believe on him shall not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. Why? Because he came to give life. John six thirty eight says that Jesus came to do what? The will of the Father, the will of the one who sent him, right? And it says right there in John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he sent him, right, to bring us life. So they're all working together. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says this. It says that the, um, the Lord Jesus does not want anyone to perish, but wants everyone to come to repentance. Why do we, does he want us to come to repentance? He wants us to have life and fullness of life. And that's how we get it, is that we come to know him as Lord and Savior. And so it is, um, it is from that point that you know, this whole thing about life, that is his heart. The challenge is, is that mankind has had a problem. We've had a sin problem ever since the garden, and it's never changed. We have have to deal with this sin problem. Mankind must deal with this sin problem person by person, though. We can't deal with it in a corporate sense. We have to deal with it person by person. But the great thing is, again, what? Jesus came to bring us life. He came to restore relationship with God. He came to restore relationship and give us life and life abundantly, not only here on earth, but in the life to come. I think sometimes we think so much about the life to come, we forget. He, brought, he came to give us abundant life today as well. I know you're thinking, but Jesus isn't here today. Well, I know he's not here today, but guess what? He left us with a responsibility. He left this whole thing to us. We have it. God isn't asking you to save the world. He already handled that himself. God needs you to breathe the message right where you are. That's what God needs for you and I to do. Now I'm going to be honest with you, I learned a painful lesson about this years ago. Um, I was at a point in my life where all I could see was me, I could only see the situation that I wanted God to fix, and I didn't like what the situation that I was in, and there had been injustices done to me at that time, and I wanted God to right them and to rectify them, and in the midst of that, I had, I had self-goggles on. All I could see was self. All I could see was my problem, my situation, and I wanted God to fix it. That's all I could see. The problem was, though I loved Christ, though I had been a pastor, I couldn't see all that he still wanted to do around me. I couldn't see all the opportunities that were around me that he was bringing, that I could share, that I could bring someone truth, that I could bring hope and life to them, but I couldn't see it because I was only looking at me. And so this morning, what we're talking about is we're talking about the heart of Christ because we want to remind ourselves that what his heart is, and it's not about um, doing all the things we want him to do, it's are we doing the things that he wants us to. And it's about how can we understand his heart in such a way that we want to do it. Listen, more and more, I've been married for 28 years, and every day is a new discovery for me. Every day, I want to do more and more to please this woman's heart. Why? Because I love her. And it's that way with Christ. Every day, I want, little, I want to know more about who he is. I want to know, understand more about his heart so that I can love and, and please him, but also that I can express that to others. I was so busy back in that, that really weird period of time. It was about 18 months to two years Though I had been a pastor, I couldn't see the opportunities around me. I was actually ministering to a co-worker who had lost his father, but I I couldn't see the opportunity. I was kind of doing it, but I wasn't aware of it. I, wasn't re- I didn't really take full advantage of it because I couldn't see it. I was so focused on myself. I was, um, had, a, had a guy sit down with me one day at lunch, and he said, uh, man, I need to tell you something. I'm like, what? He says, my wife walked out on me. And... I had an opportunity to minister to him, but I'm going to tell you, in the midst of it, I didn't realize what I was doing or the opportunities. I was so busy, consumed, when was God going to fix my problems that I wasn't really seeing his heart that he was opening up and expressing in front of me. I was actually mentoring my supervisor. I had a supervisor, and I was mentoring her, but I couldn't see it. I couldn't see what God was doing. I couldn't see the opportunities. There was a guy that sat in the cubicle right next to me. I was the first Christian he had ever talked to, and I would tell you that I, I didn't, I didn't displease God. I didn't do, I didn't do a disservice. But I'm going to tell you that I didn't see it for what it was because I was so focused on my heart, my will, my ideas, what I wanted, that I wasn't thinking about what is Christ's heart in this and what is the opportunity for me to share that. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So there's an obvious need for Christ's heart to be expressed. Life is available, and he came to provide it, but he needs us to get involved. He needs you and I to carry this message into our everyday Yes, into our everyday, into our each and every day, into the places where we go. That we carry his truth. We carry his love. But you and I, we have to take action. And that's the missional piece of this whole thing. It's not about what can the church do to, to, to win people to Christ or to minister to people. You are the church. You and I are the church. It, so we have to quit asking what can the church do. And we have to start asking what can the church do. Because I am the church. You are the church. And that's missional living. This is, I said it last week. If you were here last week, I talked about it closely towards the end. I talked about that church is a visitor center, right? It's to prepare us for the climb. It's to prepare us for what's to come. It's to prepare us for the adventure that awaits us in Christ outside of the Sunday morning experience. But we have to take action. So I, in my reading this this week, You're probably better scholars than I am. I just noticed something I've never noticed before. Um, The most common word that was uttered either just immediately before or just immediately after Jesus reveals his divinity and does something so that people would go, Whoa. The most common word uttered is the word go. Go. Let me show you. So the man with the leprosy, right? Jesus told him, he says, go in your way and show yourself to the priest. Why? Because he's going to show that he's clinging, that God just healed him. He told the centurion, he says, go your way because the faith is, um, as you believed it, so let it be. He, He basically said, you can go. You can you can walk this thing out," he said to the woman caught in adultery. He said, "Go and sin no more." Why? Because he was revealing who is who he was. He had just blown away everybody. He said to the he said this to to legion, right? He said, "Go." He, he told him he told those those demons to go. It's the most common word that's used around every time that Jesus does something. Into um to the demoniac man who had legion in him. As soon as he was free he wanted to go with jesus and jesus says no you go go home go to your friends go and tell them what god has done for you but go john's disciples he told them he says go and tell john what you've seen just tell him what you've seen what you've heard that's all you got to tell him he'll know he'll know who i am he'll know if it's real or not you just go and tell him the woman with the issue of blood but with the issue of blood jesus said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace Every time he does something, like there's this word go. In the disciples, it's like all over the place because he spent so much time with them. Get this. Just before he does the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, he tells his disciples, hey, go and see what you can find. Go and find some bread and some fish. Go. Go and find some of that stuff. Then he, right immediately after the feeding of the 5,000, he says, now you guys go to the other side and I'll catch up with you. Well, guess what? He's about to come walking on water. Every time he throws this go thing out, something happens. He says to his disciples, they're like, why do we need to, which direction are we going? He says, I need to go through Samaria. Why? Because there's a woman at a well, and I need to wreck her world. I need to blow her paradigm. And what does he do? this woman comes to believe. Not only does she believe, but she goes and tells the city. And they all, many, it says that many of them believed. Why? Every time there's this word go in there. When it came time to Lazarus, Jesus delayed. But then finally he said, let us go back to Judea. And they're like, let's go with them. We're going to all die. But Jesus knew that he needed to go back. He needed to go back to Judea. Before the triumphal entry ever happened, he told them to what? He says, "I want you to go and you'll find a colt and it's tied up. and you'll just tell him that the master needs it. right? Why? Because of all times, he was about to walk he was about to ride through town and he was about to let them all see that he, he is that. He is the Messiah. After that, he told his disciples, he says, "Go to the upper room." Go to a man in this city, and you're going to find him make preparations. Why? Because he was about to go into this room for the last time and spend them. He was going to tell them a lot of things. He was going to show them what it meant to be a servant. He was going to pray the prayer that we pray over and over about how we should all be one and be together. and like All of that was happening. Right? But he keeps saying this word, go. So every time he's revealing... Oh, and the ladies at the tomb, get this, Matthew chapter 28, he finds the ladies at the tomb and he says to them, don't be afraid, go and tell um, the brothers in Galilee that I'll meet them there. So every time he's revealing his power, this word go, it, it was used in different contexts, but it was there every time. And I kept thinking, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to show me? This is weird. This is it, this is going to be cool. Then Mark 16, 15, he instructs his disciples with, so with this mind this in mind this whole go concept that God keeps using the word go in Mark 16:15, he instructs his disciples and he says this go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation if Jesus just used the word go again and every time he's used it in the past he's allowed people to see who he is right he just said I want you to go and I want you to preach the gospel why? So they can see who he is. So there's this revelation of the divinity of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So you and I, if we'll just simply put legs to what we believe, this is... It can be mission field, it can be, but it can't just be going to the coffee shop on the way to work. If we'll just go, if we'll just participate, if we'll do it in Christ's name, if the idea is that we're here to express his heart, if we'll be missional and not try to be congregational or attractional, see, the idea that we, everybody comes here to come to know who Christ is, that isn't the plan. The plan is that we come here to be equipped and that we become here for corporate worship to inspire us, that we then go out there and we're missional. That's what the intent is. See, the Great Commission isn't about missions and missionaries as we've been taught for ages. It's about our lives being real and authentic, uniquely reflecting Jesus and his message to people who cross our paths every day, every day. So how do we do this? How do we express Jesus' heart? How do we help people see him, to experience him even more? I think we use Jesus' model, and this is where that second verse came, came in at. John 1:14. It John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, full of grace and truth. Listen, the first thing that I want you to, to know today, if we want to be missional, if we want to be, uh, express what His heart is, the first thing is we have to represent the Word in the flesh. The, this verse starts out, it says, the Word became flesh. You and I have to lift, live out His message in our daily activities, not our Sunday activities, our daily activities. You've heard it said many times, you are the only Jesus that many people will encounter or contact today. And you're also the same, probably the only Jesus that others will come in contact with tomorrow and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. You may be the only Jesus that they come in contact with at the soccer game, at the PTA meeting, at work, at the gym, at the coffee shop. You are unlikely for this 70% of people in our community who do not know Christ, who do not know what his heart is. You and I are the only Jesus that they are going to come in contact with because he is not here in bodily presence. But we are the body of Christ, and we know what his heart is, and we have to live that heart out. We have to, It has to move us beyond our Sunday congregating to our Monday through Saturday living. We have to represent the word in the flesh. The second thing that we have to do is that we have to dwell among the world, it says that, and he made his dwelling among us, you and I have to live our lives in community, not just in community with each other, but in our community. Um, really, we have to live it among other lost people now here 's the challenge for years the american church we 've told ourselves to be separate that we that that we are a separate people that we 're supposed to separate ourselves and it's interesting. But after all that teaching has taken place over the last 50 years and we've bought into it, think about what's happened since we, the church, have bought into this notion. In the last 60-something years, we've aborted 53 million babies in this nation. The current rate today is 1,800 abortions in America per day. Today, there will be 75 babies aborted every hour in this nation. Why? Because we are bought into something that we're supposed to be separate. And we're not dwelling among people who are far from Christ anymore. We're not focusing on dwelling among them. We're focusing on somehow being separate. But Jesus came and dwelled among them. Since that we've become separate, marriage is no longer defined as being between one man and one woman. Our television and our entertainment industry is full of every form of sexuality. It is in our tv things that that would have never even thought things that would have been censored and all kinds of other things when i am when i was a kid are now in full view right across all you gotta do is just flip the button and there it is but it's because we the church decided that we were supposed to be separate when jesus said that i came to dwell among you them you and i have to dwell among People who are far from... Since that happened, students can no longer formally pray in schools. And now it's, it's beginning to impact governments. Local governments can't pray at their their town hall meetings, their, their county meetings, their planning zoning meetings. Universities have become institutions of humanistic and liberal indoctrination. They indoctrinate against intolerance. But let me tell you what. You go to some of them and you try to try to just step up just to a, in a public forum and just say that Jesus is the only way, that Jesus came to give them life, and see what happens. They will become very intolerant at that point. And the crazy thing is is so many of our major Ivy League institutions a hundred years ago were started as seminaries. Seminaries. There's a college right here, one of our major universities right here in North Carolina was a Baptist university until 40 years ago and today their student newspaper prints all kinds of sexualities type of stuff right in it telling the people i read an article telling the students that they there was no point in being um uh true to one one person one spouse that you should just go and do it with as many people as you want it was in the student newspaper Three years ago, when we were looking at colleges, I just picked up the student newspaper, read that, I'm like, we ain't going here. <laughs> it's true. This is all the Bakai, because we, the church, have decided that we're supposed to be separate and we've not we're not dwelling among them the way that Christ did. It's His model. But if we want to know what His heart is, we want to live out His heart. This is the way we do it. Let me just say, listen, we do not have a culture problem in America today. We had a church problem 60 years ago. We, the church, became silent. We decided that we were going to go on mute, that we were going to sit, sit go congregate into our, our places of worship, and we weren't going to get involved in politics and education and religion and government and educate, all those kinds of things. And the crazy thing is, is that... That whole concept of being separate, they, they bought into it too. We bought into it, and then they bought into it. And so what happens is, is that now you have no voice in any decisions, and they bought into this whole concept of separation of church and state, which isn't in the Constitution. It is not in the Bill of Rights. It is not uh, in the Declaration of Independence. It was in a letter. It was in a letter thomas jefferson wrote and he was talking about how the government should not promote a single form of religion but they bought into we said we should be separate and they're like yes you should y'all just go into your little church but christ's model is that we dwell among them that's his heart we have to find our way back we have to find our way back out of this building on sunday mornings and back into the life Of our community the other six and a half days of the week we have to do it we have to live out our faith I know there's some practicalities to that but there's some really simple practical things we can start simple just start by practicing hospitality start by practicing generosity listen our culture is so me oriented and so my oriented that for you to be hospitable and generous is gonna get attention right there they're gonna wonder what in the world is different about you. Just those two things. But if we will stop hiding our faith, if we will stop putting ourselves, we got this little remote control, and every time a religious conversation comes up at work or at school or someplace else, we take that remote and we point it at ourselves and we put it on mute. If we would quit doing that, now I'm not saying you beat somebody up or berate them or anything like that. I'm just saying that we just don't put ourselves on mute, that we engage in the conversation. That we dwell among people. Speak encouragement. Better yet, speak the truth of God's word in in a way that's gracious. We have to be missional and not attractional. That means we have to quit waiting on the church to create an event so that we can bring people. And we have to go out and decide, I'm going to be the event. Did you get that? quit waiting for the church to create an event and decide that I'm going to be an event. Where I go today is going to be an event. It's going to be an event for Christ. We have to dwell among them. What about this? What if, we began, what if you began to believe that your occupation was a divine calling? It wasn't just some choice that you decided as to where you were going to work. What if you really began to believe that the occupation that you have is based on something that God placed inside of you and it's a divine calling? What if you began to believe and approach your company, whether you're an employee or an owner, you began to approach it as it was your ministry assignment? What if you began to see your customers, the people that you interact with daily, what if you began to see them through Jesus' vision? I tried to come up with a really good explanation of that, and I really couldn't. The, only, the worst, the only one I could come up with was that I, I was—I kept coming back to that song about beer goggles. I don't know why that kept coming back to my mind, but the idea is that you put these goggles on, you see people through the, they look weird, you know, whatever. But what if we could put on a set of goggles and we could actually see people the way that Christ sees them? What if we began to understand that? God has strategically placed you and I where we are. We are there by God to reflect His love. What if we began to believe that? What if we began to live that? What if we began to allow or offer or even lead Bible studies in the places where we work and we I know you're saying well I'm not i don't I just work there, okay, but do they is there any definitions as to what you can do with your lunch? Is there any definitions as to what you can do before or after? work can you do it there can you meet people at the coffee shop what if we began to do something like that and saw the people around us as the people that god had called us that he had given us to reach i know a college student who has it in their mind that they are going to lead their five sweetmates mates to christ before they graduate Because they believe that where they are, God has placed them for a purpose. A college student. God bless our college students who are living for Christ. What if we began to act like corporate chaplains? It's like, well, I'm not a pastor. You don't have to be a pastor. Just a chaplain. Just someone who's willing to pray with people and minister to them. Maybe go to the hospital when they get sick or something like that. What if we began to act like that? Well, there's nothing like that where I work. Okay. You don't even need a badge. I mean, what did that little movie said: we don't need no stinking badges. Just be a chaplain, right? Just act. What if you just decided I was going to act like that and tell no one I was acting like that? I just decided I was going to do it. Why? Because we began to see the people around us from missional eyes instead of uh, from separate eyes. I know a college student who gives free haircuts to guys. She gives free haircuts to guys because they figured out that they'll come and sit down in the chair and they will begin to talk to their hair cutter person, stylist, whatever you want to call it, barber, barberette, I don't know what the proper terminology, I get all those confused. She's already begun to have conversations with people and when their haircuts are over, they just, keep, they just stick around for the conversation because the other people are there and have already engaged in the conversation. I was told about one conversation last year where one of them actually sat down on a book that she had there nearby and said, what is this? And she said, this is my Bible. And they said, that's not a Bible, it's pink. She said, no, no my Bible is pink. <laughs> Who's been writing in it? I have. Really? And the questions began before long, they're talking about the Trinity. The Trinity. Because one of them says, you know what? I, I really didn't go to church a lot. I grew up Catholic, but my parents don't really go. I've never been able to figure out if Jesus was born over here, then where was the Trinity until he was born? That's a great question. Right? That's a great question because... You can take them back to the Genesis and say, show right where it says, God says, we, are, we will make man in our image, right? Then there's things like Christophanies all along where Jesus, he comes in the form of a powerful person. But basically, um, it's where we believe that Jesus showed up in a bodily representation before he was actually born. Who do you think wrestled with Jacob Who do you think it was if Jesus was the bodily representation of of God? Who was it that walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden? It was the God person who had legs. That's who it was, right? Who was it who comes and says to to Joshua the night before Jericho, when he says he saw this person, he says, who are are you? Are you for us or against? He says, neither. I am the captain of the host of the armies of God. Listen, that is Jesus. He is the captain of the host of the armies of Christ, armies of God. But she was able to talk to them about Jesus being there before He, his representation. She just talked for three hours. Guys who had 10-minute haircuts sat around and talked about the Bible. Why? Because she's missional. Because she has heart. You and I have to look for real-life, everyday opportunities just to be engaged because you don't have to manufacture the questions. If you and I got to the point where we said, God, I'll answer any question anybody gives me today about you, guess what? He is going to send people to you to answer, to ask questions. You go, I don't know all the answers. She didn't either. She didn't know all any of those. She Googled them while they were sitting there. True story. True story. I have some other friends. They're parts of grace. And they decided about three years ago that they wanted to do something they'd never done before and they wanted to feed a homeless person. So they decided they were going to grill up some burgers and some hot dogs and cool some drinks and grab some chips at the store. And they went to a place where... They thought homeless people would hang out, and they started passing out burgers. And they were so, it was so exhilarating, it was so exciting to have done that in the name of Christ. Didn't do a Bible study, didn't preach a sermon, didn't do anything like that. Just loved on these people that they decided a month later to do it again. And they told somebody, and they took another family back with them. Let me just tell you, by the time a year was over, they were going every other week, and there were 10 families going with them. And now they know every homeless person by name. Not only do they know their name, they know their story. They know where their families are at. They know what their their illnesses and their conditions are. And by that time, these people are starting to ask them questions, like, why did you come and do this? Because we, we love Jesus, and we love the people that Jesus loves, and Jesus loves you. Simple answer. Really, Jesus loves me yeah Jesus loves you questions they just they didn't they weren't going to preach they didn't have a d- Bible study they didn't have an outline they' didn't have nothing they just went to love on people and say if they ask questions we'll answer them why because they were captured by the heart of Christ and it began to move them most of what I'm talking about Right there is what we in America would call relational evangelism. and It's what we do a lot in the U.S. But here's the funny thing is, and we were talking about this this, morning, uh, this week. Actually, um, Israel was talking with us at our men's Bible study. That happens in America, but you know what the rest of the world uses most of the time? They use a thing called power evangelism, and it doesn't matter what their denomination is. They pray for the sick, and they are healed they are praying about their people with people about their situations and God is showing up and doing the miraculous, giving favor and all sorts of things. And because of it, the door is open and people are coming to know Christ. So not only is it important that we dwell among them, that's relational, but it's also important, and this is the third point, that we highlight God's glory. It says in our verse, John 1, 14, it says, and that we have seen his glory. How do people see his glory? I'm not talking about God giving god glory that's what you and i do in our worship i'm talking about how did they see his glory they saw his glory because of what he did every time he did this thing called the works of god they were blown away like it's like whoa did, did he just do that for real there's a phrase in the book of john that's called the works of god and if you there's this there's this thing that runs through it and every time we see this phrase the works of god it is referring to the miraculous and jesus is the one who's using the term works of god let me show you this just for a quick second jesus tells andrew in chapter one of john he says you believe you believe me because i told you you were i saw you when you were sitting in the fig tree and i wasn't there you believe because because of that you ain't seen nothing yet, buddy. Come and follow me and I'm going to show you some stuff. That's what he said in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he does his first miracle. He turns water into wine. It's the very first time he ever does his miracle. And it says there that it says that his disciples believed. Why? Because he was, he was already in the mode. He was, they were, he was allowing them to see his glory. In chapter 4, there's a story about the woman at the um, woman at the well. I talked about it earlier. He basically reads her mail, tells tells her everything, she, everybody she'd ever been with, and that he was the living water. And because of that, she believes, and an entire city believes. In chapter five, right, he does the works of God again. He goes to the pool of Bethesda and he uh, heals this man. And it says that he believes. In chapter six is where we get the feeding of the five thousand, and he walk, walks on water. And when he does people believe in chapter 9 he heals a man born blind and jesus says this happens so that the works of god might be displayed see we're supposed to allow people to see his glory he allowed people to see his glory why so they could see his works why so they could believe chapter 10 jesus actually tells them don't believe anything i say unless you see the works of my father now that's freaky he tells them, like, you don't have to believe what I say. Just believe what I do. Just believe what I do. Watch what I do. And chapter 11 is the raising of Lazarus. So Lazarus, um, his disciples said, well, he's asleep. Can't somebody else wake him up? And he actually says this to his disciples. He says, he's not asleep, he's dead. And he says this, and for your sake, I'm glad he's not there, so that you may believe. Because why? Because he was about to do an amazing thing. He was about to do the works of God. He was about to reveal his glory, and in so doing, people were going to believe. And further down in that chapter, it says this, that when he was at the tomb, that the way that he prayed, he said this, he said to God, he says, Lord, I know that you always hear me. But I've said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe. Why? Because he was about to reveal his glory. And it was so that they would believe. In chapter 12, Jesus says this, Whoever believes in me, believes in the one who sent me. No one believes in me, stays in darkness. See, that's the really cool thing. When the point in time that you and I begin to believe, when we see it and we believe it, Jesus says, no one who does that stays in darkness. No one. Once you and I believe, there's no more darkness. Now here's where it gets really good. John chapter 14, verse 12, he says this, Verily, truly, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Let me read that again because some of you, that's going to freak you out. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. What are the works? Well, all throughout the book of John, he's been talking about the works of God. What is that? The miraculous. And he says, in fact, they're gonna, you're going to do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And he, does, he continues to say that throughout John. He does it in the remaining chapters. In the same way that you and I have to don't have to do the saving. We talked about that earlier. God doesn't need us to do the saving. He's got that under control. Well, guess what? You and I don't have to do the healing. And you and I don't have to perform the miraculous. But there is a role. Just as in salvation, you and I have to bring the good news. As it relates to this whole concept of seeing things happen in people's lives, you and I have to bring the faith. And you and I have to bring the prayer. Why? Because we understand the heart of of who jesus is we understand that he came to bring life and bring it abundantly not just some some get out of hell free card not some ticket on a train leading to heaven and as far away from hell as possible but a life that's abundant a life that's full a life that's powerful you and i have been called to not only live it but to allow other people to experience it and we have to do that, not only because we dwell among them, because we're willing to allow people to see his glory. See, they're not looking... When that stuff happens, when you and I... Let me, let me ask a question. I know what we, the church, officially believe, but let me ask you, the church, what do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus still heals today? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus still does miracles? Yes. Do you and I... do? Is there any part of that that you and I... Do we say the magic words and things happen? No. But we do have to participate, right? And so in that, it's why? Because Jesus came to give life. And he came to give it abundantly. And you and I are part of the delivery system of his heart, of who he is. Our final point, the fourth one this morning is this. Is that we have to live full of grace and truth. It says at the end of that verse that Jesus was full of grace and truth. This is how Jesus interacted with pretty much everybody except for maybe the religious people. So if you get somebody super religious and you want to go off on them, that's okay. No, I did not say that. I know you want to sometimes. Sometimes I want to. But to everybody who was lost, everybody who was sick, Everybody who was infirmed, everyone who was in need, everyone who was depressed, everyone who was grieving, everyone who was outcast. He treated them with grace and he treated them with truth. And I'm going to tell you what, 70% of our community tomorrow morning needs grace and they need truth. Because they are far. And they don't even know it even know it so often the american church we've been focused on biblical truth they want to tell people what their lifestyle is or isn't how it should be and how they're not living our, according to scripture and all those kinds of things and i think there's a place for that in a in a conversation when someone opens up and it's you realize the holy spirit is doing something but that is not the way we lead with this thing yes with truth but it says that jesus came with grace and truth we have to do it in that way if we're going to have his heart if we're going to bring life and bring it abundantly we have to live out his model and his mission and that was the great commission listen i think i've said this one time before but it's worth repeating the church does not need a mission his mission needs a church let me say that again the church of jesus christ does not need a mission or a mission statement The mission of Jesus needs a church. His mission was to go. His heart is to bring life, an abundant life to those who are in need of it. If we're his body, we have to live out according to his heartbeat. And this is his heartbeat. That we would bring life and bring it abundantly to all who are in need. Would you pray with me this morning? God, you're up to something in us. God, I believe that you are allowing us to see with new eyes, God, what your heart is. And not just in a way that fills our heads, but in a way that changes who we are and how we want to conduct our day-to-day. Lord, this morning, God, I thank you that, God, for those of us in this room, you gave a life, and you gave abundant life. God, sometimes we get so excited about what we've received that we keep getting to share and there is more than enough to go around so god i pray that as you begin to allow us to see our neighbors in a new way our classmates in a new way our students in a new way our co-workers in a new way god our neighbors in a new way god i pray that you would allow us to live out your heart Lord, that we not wait for what happens here on Sunday, but that, God, we would make church on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday because church is every time you and I meet with someone else, there is church. God, it doesn't have to look like a corporate setting. It just has to look like three people, the two of us and you. Lord, sharing hearts and ideas, God, in ways that bring life. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to bring life, to those we know and those we love. God, we bless you in this place. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.